But I don't, I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've, I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won. Or, but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. This is the first time I think that we'll be recording separate men's and women's reps for a slam. Or the, f- the first time in a while. I can't recall ever mm. doing it. And okay. part of the reason why is because, well, A, so much has happened. The agenda is long. And also, Coco Goff is the US Open <laughs> champion. And with that comes a lot to talk about. Yeah, and it's been a long time since I think we've been this excited by a women's champion. I don't know how long, but there's a lot to pack into this episode. Uh, Coco Goff, it feels like we've been watching her for a decade, but it's really only been since like her big breakout in 2019. But since then, so much has been expected of her. And I'm actually surprised that she broke through this early. After all of that, all of that pressure and hype and everything, I was still surprised. Well, because maybe 10 episodes ago, we were talking about how she was down bad in her career, right? (laughs) In a bit of a rough patch. And I think that was obvious for most people watching. It was obvious to her that first round loss at Wimbledon was the absolute last straw for her. We made the decision on this show from the jump, from Coco came on the scene to kind of abstain from talking about her too much, for better or worse. Focusing on her game, what's wrong with it, what's wrong with her, her potential, what she could do. We took the approach to just watch her develop. And even back then, when she beat Venus at Wimbledon, our approach was really purposeful in being like, okay, this is the thing that happened, and we've seen enough tennis to know about all of the mistakes that people have made in the past with young prodigies. And we talked about the age eligibility rule and how we thought it was a really, really good idea. And it did limit someone like Coco's uh, playing time on tour. And it turned out that was probably a good thing. It's also great that she has great parents supporting her. She has a good team around her and just a, a good head on her shoulders. She became the US Open champion by beating Arena Sabalenka, the new world number one as of tomorrow, in three sets. We talked privately, and you were not as hopeful as I was for this result heading into this match. (laughs) And I said to you, well, first of all, bring up the head-to-head. And I think Coco had won a few matches against her. It wasn't what you might have expected. Mm -hmm. And then also I said, you know, Coco does a lot of things that could really trouble Arena. And the way she likes to play. Yes. And that's exactly what we saw play out. Because as it turned out, Arena is still so beholden to this one plan A type of game. And it it's absolutely her downfall in this final, mm-hmm. I think. For the most part, this is the game that wins her championships. It wins matches. She is the first woman in a long time to reach the semifinals of all four majors in a year. Five in a row. Two two finals, one title, one runner-up finish in the slams this year. 
She's the clear number one. Her formula works for her (laughs) for the vast majority of times. I knew kind of the parts of Coco's game that could challenge her. I just wasn't really uh, willing to have any expectations. I just, I get so superstitious when I really care about the outcome of a match. I just kind of sit there and eat my food. I feel like that's how I am with Rafa Finals. And you're the one who always has to tell me, well, yeah, this is actually Mm. not a bad situation for him. (laughs) Going back to not more than three short months ago, Mm -hmm. when Coco and her game were abandoned and all alone, without (laughs) nary a title to her name, so very young and so afraid. Oh, this is still going. (laughs) (laughs) These are... uh, Paraphrase lyrics from Make It Happen Correct. by Mariah Carey. Not everybody will know that. And here she is. She's arrived. What we've been promised from Coco Goff all of a sudden built steam in such a quick short period. And what are the reasons for this? Mm-hmm. It was almost too much to hope for because she won this title in DC, then loses to Jesse in uh, Montreal wins her biggest career title in Cincinnati. Cincinnati. And then it was like, is she the U.S. Open favorite? And I was like, no, no. Dude, just stop that. Do not put that on her. You know, Iga and Arena are by far the favorites of this tournament. She came in, obviously we talked about her first round match. Wow. Laura Ziegemann must be sick right now. <laughs> Absolutely sick. But she, man, she did not make it easy for Coco in the first round. And yet, Coco seemed to, like, relish every challenge. There was this, I mean, and she's talked about it, this mentality has changed a bit where she's not getting down on herself in matches. And it may be more holistic. Like, she talked about having perspective in life in general, and that may be what's making her tennis better. But it was also just a a willingness to problem solve and realize you're not going to overpower everybody on court. You're certainly not going to do that to Sabalenka uh, or even Ostapenko, right? Use your gifts in a way that's going to get you the win. And the gift that she has that, to my mind, outshines everybody else on tour is her speed and defense. Mm -hmm. That is a facet of a player's game that's never given enough credit in terms of how much it can change the outcome of a match. When... Perhaps a serve, forehand, backhand, those discrepancies between the two players are wide. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, there are bigger gaps in those skill sets between two players. And on the face of it, you say, well, how can this person overcome all that? Well, as it turns out, Coco Goff specifically in this match used her speed and defense to completely neutralize Arena Sabalenka and get in her head. Let's talk about the match itself. Sabalenka won a pretty straightforward 6-2 set. Her power and, for the most part, accuracy was just far too much. It was just too much. Coco wasn't even protecting her own serve during that set. And it appeared that, okay, this this may have caught up with us here. Like, she may just simply be overpowered. Arena has just gotten this uh, this weight off her back by ascending to number one. Maybe she's just she's just in her number one era. And what was incredible is to see Coco at home in such a high pressure situation be able to come out and assert herself early in the second set and think through this match. 
what was key was holding those first two service games. Yes. In which she faced a lot of pressure from Sabalenka. Had she not held those service games, this could have gone differently. I think that gave her belief at that point, especially since it kept her ahead in the scoreline in the second mm. set. When I, And when I say thinking through the match, that might just mean I'm thinking I'm going to run her ass ragged on defense and I have to remain aggressive. Like I cannot get timid, even if I'm not bashing, right? I'm going to get every ball back and I'm going to hit it deep. And for Arena, you could see like the frustration coming pretty early. She was missing a lot. I mean, that has to be said. She was very error prone in the second and third set. Right. But she was. There is a but. But those errors came after she had already hit what would have been three to four winners against yeah. most other players. Yes. Hitting lines in the corners, Coco returning ridiculous lobs, stab lobs pushed well off the court, only to then run the length of the baseline the other direction to hit another one to completely frustrate Arena. And this is where her speed and defense, it was mesmerizing. Mm -hmm. Because it was incredibly annoying for her opponent, clearly. This is somebody who should be able to blast you off the court. Um, There were balls that Coco got back that was like, okay, you know... A lot of players, whether they're just tired or they just don't think it's even worth it, and I think this happens more in men's tennis, is like, ugh, am I going to like throw up another crappy lob that's barely going to make it over the net? Arena was missing those, right? <laughs> like That shows you how important it is that Coco just threw up anything. As long as she could get a racket on it, Arena missed a lot of those. And how demoralizing as the match goes on. The point that I knew that this was on, that this really could happen, was after Coco won the second set. She casually said, let's go. Jogged immediately off the court to the bathroom, fully in business mode. Mm -hmm. Like, she, she believed in that moment. She saw the path, the blueprint as to how she was going to win this match. And she was confident she could do it. You mentioned earlier that Arena typically only deploys a plan A because it works so often. Um, Maria Sharapova is like another player who, for most of her career, didn't really have much of a plan B, right? Because plan A just usually worked. It was pretty striking because I think Arena Sabalenka has a lot more variety than a lot of players. Certainly a lot of more like pure power players. She's a former doubles number one. She has touch at the net. I like... I wonder, and I wondered this when she was losing badly to Madison, I just wondered like why she wasn't trying different things. I watched that first set against Madison where she was completely blitzed off the court. Mm. Like six love in no time, Madison couldn't miss. And I'm sitting there thinking, is her only response to this that Madison simply can't keep this up? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep doing doing what I'm doing and not even try to give her a different look. Because we've seen the type of players that Madison can struggle against. It's not that you can't delve into that playbook a little bit. Right. To right. try and upset her rhythm. You know, it's... I mean, maybe that's the stupidity of me as someone who is not an elite professional level athlete. To think that 
after hours upon hours, months and years of training toward one way that you can just dabble in and out of something. <laughs> right, that that right. in and of itself won't upset your game. It's, that you uh, can't just switch it on and off. Easier said than done, of course. Uh, but when I say that she has touch and finesse, like that was missing. Even when she was forced to the net, that was missing a lot of times. Coco goes up big in the third set. Four love, she's up 4-1, and then we get this medical timeout. <laughs> where it looks like Arena is getting a light massage, leg massage on the court. And mm-hmm. the uncharitable view of this was that it was clear gamesmanship. You know, I don't know what it was. It's uh, easy to take that stance now that Coco won that match. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was sitting there like stewing, but I dare not speak it out loud because, you know, I am superstitious. I didn't tweet anything throughout the entire match. Not a single tweet. Because anything could have upset the universe's balance and and turned the match, like in my, you know, fan view. So I just, I sat there and and drank my water and minded my business. But it, yeah, it was obviously a, a pretty interesting time to take a medical timeout when there wasn't any obvious injury like during play. Some people who are more attuned to what Sabalenka is like on court claim that she pulled up with something in the game before. Oh. Okay. I don't know. I didn't see that. The timing was just bizarre mm-hmm. for me. And the the immediate effect of it was that Coco was broken the very next game. Because right. this timeout happened before Coco's next service game. But she did the right thing, right? She got up. She started practicing serves. Those are the things you're supposed to do to stay warm. Don't let this rattle you. And I was worried. Like, anybody could be rattled at that stage at she had never been this close to a Grand Slam title before. Against Iga in the French Open, she was devastated. But there was never, I mean, that was never like a realistic thing that she was going to come out there and beat Iga. Like she was a heavy, heavy underdog there. The point at which this timeout happened, being double break up in the third set of a slam final, trying to win your first, after all the pressure of being this prodigy, the thing that really resonated with me and caused me such great angst was what if this perceived ploy derails her and she loses this double break lead in a third set of a slam and it completely devastates her future prospects (laughs) because that's the type of loss that can be so difficult to come back Mm -hmm, from mm -hmm. we needn't have been bothered (laughs) or worried about that she won the match on her first match point, on a backhand winner, and just really dissolved into tears. And I, I mean, I couldn't help it either. Like, I couldn't help but also cry with her. It was just too much to, to witness, you know? And then her embracing her dad, and then her mom, everybody on the team. And and she even ran over to Ava Azdaraki after her celebration, almost in apology, like, I forgot to shake your hand, which I thought was sweet. She embraced Brad Gilbert, who then said to her, I'm so fucking proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> Brad Gilbert, the U.S. Open whisperer over here. Right. Apparently, he started working with Agassi in 94. Mm-hmm. Agassi went on to win the U.S. Open that year. The same year he started working with Andy Roddick. Shortly thereafter, he goes on to win the U.S. Open. And now, in 2023, a third decade, taking 
or playing a part in one of his charges winning the U.S. Open shortly after he joins mm-hmm. the team. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have sat here and said, listen, let's not give these men too much credit. But that's a feather he can't stick in his cap. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What does Coco's resume look like now? She's now won six titles, eight in, well, six singles titles, eight in doubles, the world number one ranking in doubles, and now a career high number three in singles. Imagine, this is another manifestation of how far she's come <laughs> in the last few months, because mm-hmm. who would have thought that? Coco Golf post-US Open, world number three. Right. Adding three titles in the span of about a month and a half. And we were just watching her, I think, in the semis. And you said, there's still so much about her game that can be improved. Well, and that's not to to be insulting. That's saying there's actually so much upside here because she's still got some rough edges. I think the word I used was unpolished. Mm. A lot of her game looks unpo- unpolished. Right. A lot of the points that she wins... I don't want to use Brad Gilbert's terminology and say winning ugly, (laughs) but a lot of those points feel like she wins them more with will than even like technique sometimes. Right, right. And of course, a lot is made about the forehand. There haven't even been attempts mid-season to fix the forehand fundamentally. I don't know if they will at this point. Like, I don't know if that's a priority in the offseason or what. A player is pretty well-formed in those fundamentals at this time. But even without that, like even with that liability, the speed and defense win a lot of points. The backhand wins a lot of points. She's not even serving at her top speeds right now. I don't know that that much needs to be done to it at this point, clearly. (laughs) Having won the US Open, something within the team setup has been worked on. Yes. Well, because watching yesterday's match, you'd think, well, Sabalenka needs some work on the forehand. Right, that's the stroke that wasn't supposed to break down. What struck me throughout watching her this tournament was that when she's ripping that forehand, she's hitting with such topspin as well mm-hmm. that it's reminiscent of even an Iga or a Rafa. Like, she's not hitting flat forehands through the court. She's hitting forehands with a lot of revs that once it lands beyond the service box, <laughs> that's a lot of... Mm-hmm. Work. Work to deal with on the other end. So maybe that's the key is just let's get some loft over the net. But I said there's so much upside because she's done all this and she's still not even reached a quarterfinal in Australia or in Wimbledon. Wimbledon being the site of her her first genuine career breakthrough. She ascends to doubles number one again, this time with Jesse Pagula in tow. It'll be Jesse's first trip to the number one ranking. But just as you say there's still so much upside, it's also a moment to issue a caution that we don't get (laughs) too carried away. Navratilova is out here saying, oh yeah, double digits, double digits. People want to predict how many will she win. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to be first, right? At the time, back when she first broke through, everybody wanted to be the first one to predict it. And then they wanted to be the first one to say, well, oh, she's not that girl. You know, I thought she was that girl, but she's not. She wins. The celebrations start happening. She climbs into the crowd, as you said, greeted the family, the box, everybody. Comes back down. She kneels. She says a prayer. Then the presentation happens. And this is where we get such great insight into her personality and who she is. Yeah. The U.S. Open is still doing this interview format, which is very annoying. 
So the players do have to be creative in like how they get everything in there that they want to say. And at one point, Coco did ask if she could snatch the mic and just speak freely. I mean, how many times does that have to happen before right. they get the picture? Because pretty much every time, the player is just like, "Can I, can I just have the mic?" It's so awkward. Just let they've earned this. Just let them speak. To date, we've known Coco to be someone who speaks her mind, mm-hmm. right? In a quite an unassuming, very polite way. <laughs> you know, she's not um, she's not extremely bold on the court. She's not really a complainer. It took a lot to drive her toward that during her first round match. Uh, she just has a she's her. Like she just has a unique personality that makes sense to her. It never feels like she's trying to be somebody. This speech was the culmination of a fortnight where she was pitch perfect in everything that she said. She was asked about so many things that when I listened to her response, I was like, oh, wow. I'm not even sure I could have answered that as Mm -hmm. well. Right. When she talked about having perspective on her life and, and thinking about how privileged she was to live the life that she does and that she really doesn't need anything. Like... Winning in tennis is a bonus for her, but it's not absolutely necessary. Like, okay, give us all a lesson in having gratitude and perspective on your life. Lord, like we could all think about that a bit more often. Her comments on climate change, because her semifinal against Muhava was interrupted for 47 minutes by a climate change protester, (laughs) who then glued his feet to the floor. And that's what took so long. And so... Mm, uh, You know... (laughs) (laughs) her response to that was, quote, I definitely believe in climate change and wasn't upset at the protesters. Would I prefer it not happen in my match? 100% yeah, but it is what it is. I always speak about preaching what you feel and what you believe in, and it was done in a peaceful way. And they were trying to lead her in a certain way because the commentators were annoyed, right? Like they were trying to get a dramatic quote. I I believe that wholeheartedly. The... Folks on tennis Twitter were pissed off. Everybody was pissed off. Yeah. Tennis, it did feel like a very conservative sport in that moment. A very bourgeois reaction. Because you can't believe in climate change and feel that things need to change. And then be annoyed that your viewing experience is delayed by 30 minutes. Yeah. And then the default response is, oh, well, there's a time and place for everything. And historically, that's proven... Not to be the case. No. Like, they don't care. They don't... Like, do you think if you lobbied in the correct, most polite way, like, you'd make an impact on these big banks? Because it wasn't really... Like, the US Open has done all this sustainability work, but look at who their big sponsors are. Hello? Like, those are the ones (laughs) you should be protesting. Yeah, I was just... I understand there were some people making, like sort of political arguments about how this is not effective or this isn't tied to like uh, a larger project which fine like I, I would be more apt to listen to that kind of argument rather than just people rushing to have the funniest joke to dunk on the protesters it's like that feels so bourgeois like i thought the online tennis fans were supposedly progressive and left-wing like the the knee-jerk reaction to dunk on them was like, oh, that is, like, kind of embarrassing. But also, there's this undertone that this is only tangentially related to tennis. Like, they're, they're better places 
better entities to target <laughs> to to effect okay. more change. When yeah, in when are. in fact, tennis could be facing an existential crisis. It's played in hot weather all I mean, around the world. We were just it was talking about literally it like the day before. The day before, Daniil Medvedev said, "How long until somebody dies before we deal with this situation?" He turned to the camera, like he was on the office or something, and said, "How long till somebody dies out here? Until you guys know, basically, until you deal with it." Right. So Coco's response to that: perfect for me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, gluing your feet to the floor, that is, like, kind of a bad, bad bitch move. <laughs> like, that's glamour. I, you know, <laughs> protesters, this protest was clearly supposed to be flamboyant. It's supposed to be direct action. You're just getting people to look at you. That's the purpose, right? You're not changing Joe Biden's mind or anything. I think you said this in response to Coco's uh, remarks, that these players are professionals, Everybody's mm-hmm. out here saying, oh, this is disrupting the flow of the match, whatever, blah, blah, blah. She says, I just treat it like a rain delay. It's not the end of right, the world. Like, how many times do they have to suspend matches? It's it's we who are not the professionals. We are the ones who are annoyed by it. The players are just like, well, whatever. And it's really just because it's inconvenient. And yes. that's what protests are by design. They necessarily must make somebody feel inconvenienced. To have any effect. Otherwise, nobody notices it. And this inconvenience was extremely minor. (laughs) Anyway, anything else you want to say about the Brad Gilbert fixing Coco Goff narrative? Because Uh, I I saw it mm, in conjunction with how Madison's coaching situation was talked about as well. Mm -hmm. I I was quite annoyed uh, watching Madison's matches... And hearing about her fiancé, Bjorn, like, we can hear about him. It's fine. I, I get it. And this is also tied into the spotlighting of the player's box, the miking, the just altogether, the more noise, figuratively and literally, that we hear by and about the player's box. It, it annoys me. Like, I absolutely detest this new angle of tennis viewing because we can't get out of it. Like, we don't have access to the feeds. It's We get what they give us, right? Bjorn Fratangelo is a former player, Madison's coach and fiancé, and they just talked entirely too much about essentially how Bjorn teaches Madison to fix the absolute worst aspects of her game. Like, the things that come to her naturally. And almost like, like the worst instincts and aspects of her that's what it felt like it's like these things that you do naturally that uh you need to stop in Mm. order to be successful bjorn has told you to rein in those terrible instincts he has made you better and like that is literally your coach as a job to make your player better it was just too much and this comes alongside the last few weeks of everybody talking about how much Brad Gilbert has added to Coco Goff. Mm-hmm. When, is... when there's also another coach, another coach that was brought on fairly recently mm-hmm. as well. It's not just Brad Gilbert. So there's no way to know for sure whether it's Brad or it's Reba. Or a conjunction of the two, plus right. the Goff family. Uh, or Dad, or, still. Right. still. <laughs> like... Yeah, there are a few things going on here. 
Tennis is an interesting sport vis-a-vis coaching, right? Because it's different than team sports in that a tennis player is their coach's employer. Like the player is the boss rather than a, a coach in football or baseball. They're the boss of the players, even if they're like not paid in the same way. There is a, a power imbalance in that way. But the player is the boss. The player can fire you at any time and often do. But we also depend on coaches to bring out the very best in their players, to hit with them, to give them tactics, to work on their mental game, all of those things. So surely the coaches deserve some credit. And I do think a lot of people have been thoughtful thoughtful about how much credit to give these these two men over their player. And so I don't we don't see the inner workings of this team. What's more interesting to me is people have been telling this family that the parents need to back off dad needs to back off they need to bring in professionals in a way coco has done that but without distancing her parents in any meaningful way right talking about how she's so lucky to have these parents who've only ever built her up have never made her feel small after a loss and that her dad was the one who gave her pointers before the match today her dad was also the one in conjunction with her agents, a teammate, who reached out to Reba. She made a point of centering her father and giving him his flowers mm-hmm. after this win. Because she she knows. She's seen it happening. She told us that she sees all the haters. She sees what they're saying. And you're not just pouring water on my fire, you're pouring gas on it. <laughs> and so she said, even before this final, her father sent her the scouting report. And she followed it to a T. So she's not about this narrative that it's just Brad and Reba who have fixed her. She says that her dad is still part of the setup and that it was his idea to take a step back. That he actually enjoys not being front and center anymore. Mm. And he doesn't even sit in the box anymore. No, he's somewhere (laughs) upstairs. In one of the suites. So that he can leave if he wants to Mm. and compose himself. But she knew that it could have been the story. That, oh, Corey Goff finally takes a step back from his daughter's team and look what happens. She wins immediately. Like, that could have been the story. But she fixed it in real time. Right. I mean, it's not dissimilar from what we saw with Richard Williams. Mm-hmm. Like When these young black prodigies come up, specifically black prodigies, these are the two big examples of the ones who have mm-hmm. gone against the grain in how they raise their prodigies. The establishment is, expects you to bring them up a certain way within the sport. And when mm-hmm. they don't, this is what we, this is what we get. Mm-hmm. But this is a great example to tennis parents because clearly they've done a lot right and and also they were willing to to step back a little and let these two professional coaches do what they needed to do, right? Like it takes humility as a parent and we know how many tennis parents do not have that. It's just not part of their DNA and never will be. Um I want to we talked about Coco's speech a little. Arena has such a... <laughs> I know you're not a huge fan, but there is a realness about Arena that is disarming, and it sometimes can feel even confrontational if you, are, I think, are looking at it from like a really American lens. She is just very honest. And you can tell that she's pissed off, but she will make a joke about it. And she was clearly devastated by the loss. But she'll say, you know, thanks for your support. I wish you were supporting me during the match. And it is sort of a joke, but it's also not a joke. I actually found that charming. I like that we get 
some realness from her in mm. these moments. And because there, I, I honestly did feel bad for her. Like, I people weren't booing her, but she certainly wasn't getting much applause during the match. There is an element of English is not her first language. Mm-hmm. So what she's communicating and the way she wants to communicate it in those moments, there can be some elements that are lost in translation. Yes, and there's just a big cultural difference. Right. When Mary Jo asks her... What is it that you want to say to your family and friends back home? And she couldn't answer it because she got completely verklempt. Mm-hmm. Come on, folks. Like, her father died abruptly. Not that long ago. What, four years ago? She's just she's ascended been, to number one in the world. She's been devastated by it. This is not This is not new terrain. That was not an okay question for me. Mm. Because it then put her in a position like it did. Well, yeah, because then you have to deal with crying and trying to speak English and trying to please everybody in the way that you answer the question. And this is the problem with the interview format. Mary Jo's intent was 100% pure, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But why is Arena being put in this position after this devastating loss? Yeah. To then perform her emotions even more than she already can't control mm. or struggling to control you know and then for us to then as viewers watch it and critique it right i'm still seeing people talking about it on the timeline today we get the behind the scenes gym video yeah then this video comes out and people share it and say oh i don't like this but then babe why are you sharing it she's the like only... if you feel it should be private right why are you amplifying it She's the only one in this gym. She walks in with her tennis bag and her runner-up plate. She sets the plate down on the bag, takes out a racket, smashes it to bits, deposits it in the garbage, (laughs) and goes about her day. And that was it. That was the video. But that's a private moment. Why is there a That is her after she's had to deal with Mary Jo's question, after she's had to deal with the shock the shame, maybe, of losing that match that she probably felt she should have won? How am I, as the new number one, not able to cap off this great achievement with this title against a player that I should beat in her mind? Well, I mean, right? that's when she looked across the net at Madison, she she said, like, I should be beating this girl. Yeah. Like, how is she playing this well against me? And so, you go through all that publicly in the aftermath, and then still, when you think you have this moment where you can let out a little of that frustration and aggression and disappointment, it's still captured and it's still circulating the next day for people to ridicule you about it Mm. further. That's just entirely too much. So if you feel the private moment shouldn't have been shared, then stop sharing it. As for Arena, she is the world number one, a deserving world number one at that. Mm -hmm. Nobody has the consistency like she has this year yeah i will admit it kind of crept up on me i was going through this entire season just kind of treating iga as the best and then you sort of look at what happened throughout the year and arena has definitely after this u.s open and probably before been clearly the best player in the world what does this win do for women's tennis (laughs) i'm not i'm not gonna (laughs) answer that i think i'm not gonna talk about coco here I'm going to talk about where we are in women's tennis. We have four different players winning majors this year. Mm-hmm. Sabalenka, Sviantek, Vondrosova, and Goff. The second two, probably pretty big surprises. We have Mulhova, Jabur, 
Pagula, and a few others playing just really, really good tennis. And I think we are in a fantastic place. Did you even say Rabakina? Oh my god. No, like, right. I'm, I'm sure there's a bunch that we're not even mentioning. Right. The thing is, they're... This WTA Big 3 was never really a thing. No. And I'm actually glad that it was never really a thing. There are a number of players with contrasting styles who can now win big titles. And that's that's where I want to be. And then you have the veteran class, of which Madison Keys is one now. Mm-hmm. 28 years old. She's Petra been on tour Kvitova. half her life. Petra Kvitova, Victoria Azarenka is still there. There are all these veteran players who can still challenge given the right situation. Mm-hmm. Ilana Ostapenko got international uh, and sort of non-tennis press coverage, especially in the U.S. People do not understand her, at all. do not know how to react to her at all. But another player who just adds so much uh, texture. One final thing before we move on to the semis and the quarters. Coco Goff is a star. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I know you said you don't want to talk about Coco in answering my question about what this win does for the WTA. But her ability to bring attention to the sport so effortlessly just through her social media is... yeah, It's the envy of many. You know, we (laughs) talked about this a lot. I remember with Naomi and these younger players who can use their own channels to promote themselves better than say the press conference format or or the official promotional channels in tennis coco just when you watch one of her ig lives or whatever or you see her tiktok dances she just seems like a cool down-to-earth girl right like it's just for me it's always been impossible not to like her she just seems like such a sweetheart and i think i think she'll hold on to that and I hope, like, I hope that she holds on to that. But I also hope that, like with all young black women in sport, I hope that she protects herself. Look at all the star power that came out to watch her play mm-hmm. yesterday. Mm-hmm. At the people who congratulated her afterward. This was a 19-year-old who broke out beyond the sport yesterday. Yes. And yes. I don't want to put expectations on her as far as what she should be winning how many she will win. I just hope that she's able to stay grounded through this process because a lot is coming her way. Yes, yes. And New Balance is doing an amazing job with her kids, but they are going to have a fight on their hands. It is going to be tough to keep her. We also found out that Coco has a boyfriend. She said that in press. Mm-hmm. And we, now everybody's trying now to Everybody's out snooping. Is. I'm not even going to, we're not even going to mention the name of the person who keeps popping up. There's one person. <laughs> uh, she's determined to keep that private. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked her about it on her IG live today. And she said, why are you always up in my private, private <laughs> life? I, I'm going to keep my private life to myself. Yeah. And you know what? She is much, much younger than us. And we're not talking about teenage business. Somebody asked her, what is she going to pay off with this check or something that she got? And she yeah, says, what are you going to spend the money on? I don't, I don't have any debt. She, she didn't like, pronounce debt properly, right? And so Shola on Twitter said, she is so paid that she doesn't even know to pronounce the word properly. <laughs> oh, my God. And she's like, and I didn't go to college. So, so I, don't I don't have those bills. <laughs> An indication as to why we did two episodes 
we are almost through the first page of our agenda, and we have two more for the woman. <laughs> and then there's three pages for the men's agenda yeah, as well. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the semifinal between Madison and Arena Sabalenka, which Madison led 6-love, 5-3, and then was up a break 4-2 in the third. I'll tell you, the first 70 minutes, Madison played near-perfect tennis. I mean... You have rarely seen somebody play in this kind of zone. Like, I, I've never seen Madison play in that kind of zone before. I can't tell you how many times sitting there watching that match together, we both just looked at each other, mouths agape, unable to grasp what we just saw. Mm-hmm. And what really pissed me off, these tennis social media accounts, because it's one thing to have tennis crossover on TikTok or Instagram or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to have these tennis accounts creating content on these platforms and we get to see their biases. Plain yes. as day. Because I can't tell you how many times I saw this video of Carlos Alcaraz's forehand. Unbelievable. Oh my God, that forehand. And I watched the video. Babe, that forehand wasn't even a winner. <laughs> All the man did was time the ball really well and swing really hard. Down the middle of the fucking court. Mm -hmm. That's what it was. Right. Instead, we get Madison here hitting outrageous return winners off both wings, sending missiles up the line, clipping the line. You're blasting balls past the new world number one. Arena wasn't, clearly wasn't at the top of her game, but like what Madison was doing was exceptional. And you can't even blame, because people always say, like, the WTA's uh, highlights just, they don't do a great job, right? They have, I think they have AI put together a lot of highlights. Uh-huh. And it's it's not a great product. We know this. This is a slam. This so is, the U.S. Open could cut right. the matches however they want. This is the tournament account yeah. deciding to feature men above women. Period. And let's Because the argument is, oh, well, men's tennis, it's just a better product. It's, you know, they hit the ball harder. Or it gets more views. Like, again, it's Nobody like chicken or the egg. has anybody hit a ball harder than Madison Keys did in that match. Yeah, I don't think so. Ever. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Ever. Like, like it left a crater in the earth. It's crazy. <laughs> we saw some points in the women's final. That one with the, the lobs. And then the sub- subsequent lob winner by Arena. The one that caused Chrissy to say, women's tennis has entered a new sphere. <laughs> It's a new level of women's tennis. Yeah, that's another one. The point is, if you want to get this granular about highlighting points within a match to say, like, this is an amazing point, this is an amazing thing that has happened, that's when the gulf between men's and women's tennis becomes even smaller. Yeah, yeah. Where in these instances, women's tennis objectively is better. I mean, because you know they're out here showing... 50 point rallies between two guys and they're just hitting it back to each this other and they're telling tennis. us it's the best point of the year bloop 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 guys bloop, like, bloop, 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 bloop. this guy's tired end of point but i know you know with most men longer means better so yeah. <laughs> um or, but, but, or at least but it's, it's the volume of it too right like they will post 15 points of a men's highlight before they do one woman's point let me let me not start on the U.S. Open TikTok, because we will never finish. The point is, Madison came out guns blazing mm-hmm. in that final. 
And she led almost to the finish line. Yeah. The problem, the only problem when you play like that is there's nowhere to go but down. <laughs> Arena had a lot of room for improvement, and Madison was playing her best tennis. You know, pretty much everybody's best tennis. But still, if were, you let up a little bit, like your opponent is there to pick up the slack. There are two things at play here. I saw a lot of people say, oh, Madison choked. I don't think Madison choked this match away at all, by any stretch. I think that in key moments, she wasn't able to play as freely as she had been playing. Mm -hmm. And she so got tight. she got tight. That's not the same as choking. I agree. She wasn't double faulting all over the place. She wasn't spraying balls well wide. She was trying to hold the line and Arena wouldn't budge. Mm -hmm. And the thing that Arena does well and what's elevated her to number one is that typically she's found this sweet spot in her game that even when things are going haywire, when she's screaming at her box, getting like four different replacement rackets within one game, throwing a racket to her team, mm -hmm. cussing all manner of things on the court, arms flailing, looking like she's completely discombobulated. When it boils down to it, and it's those key moments that a match hinges on, she can buckle down. Yeah. And in those moments, Maddie's nerves got the better of her. She was just a little bit too timid. Mm -hmm. And I called it professional what, to you. I called Arena's performance professional. You're like, well, I don't know if I'd call it professional. Um, trying to throw a racket back to her box at the baseline. That wasn't that wasn't great. I think she did get a code for her unsportsmanlike conduct, but I don't know if it was for that. I feel like it happened off camera, but anyway. But her performance was, I mean, it was befitting uh, someone who has reached this level in her sport, the number one ranking. Like she just, I don't know how she withstood that assault from Madison. Yes, there were there were definitely nerves on Madison's side, but the match could have been over in in the second set. This is the feel bad portion of the podcast because yes. if I'm Madison, as she was clearly really upset after that match and she was crying in her press conference, I would be too because I'm sitting there saying I played amazing. I played my very best and it was not enough. Like will it ever be enough? You know, like that was my takeaway. This wasn't the 2017 US Open final mm -hmm. where she just didn't show up. Madison showed up from the jump and it just wasn't enough. And 28 years old, somebody who herself was a prodigy, somebody who's been around a long time, who we has... her as a 14-year-old. You watch Madison Keys play even 50% as well as she did in that first set. And you're tempted to think, how is this not the number one player in the world? Right. Because nobody does that like her. And I'm sure a lot of people had written her off as a slam hopeful, as a, a likely slam winner. Do you come out of this result... If you're Madison Keys, more hopeful or more dejected? Hope I'm hoping that the initial dejection wears off and you realize, like, this is my sixth slam semi. Nobody was seeing this for me. She's like, put together a very consistent career mm -hmm. at the big tournaments, as it turns out. Yeah. Because she has this reputation of just disappearing and showing up here and there. But you look at her track record now, and this is a credible career. Right. So I hope that she can see, like, I've put myself in the second week of slams so many times. Like, a ridiculous number of times. Quarters at Wimbledon this year. Mm -hmm. Semis at the US Open this year. Back-to-back -back tournaments. She's got Australia, one of her favorite tournaments coming up. I believe she's going to be ranked 11th come tomorrow. 
I mean, I don't doubt that she can get herself into this position again. Getting back to this position, she likely won't play Arena Sabalenka again. Tennis is a sport of matchups. It'll be some. Mm. It'll be a different ask in that moment. So all the very best to her. We truly wish Madison Keys the very best. And I think this is a a couple people were really nasty in their response to my tweet about this. Yes. When I said that Madison has nothing to be ashamed of. She should be proud of her performance at this tournament. And I truly believe that. Goff beat Mukova in two sets. Uh, Mukova clearly wasn't at her very best in that match, but it got better. I think like the the second part of the second set was some really good tennis. The last the, couple games. Yeah. And this was the match of the, uh, the protesters interrupting with the glue and, and stuff like that. Um, not a whole lot to say about that one. Yelena Ostapenko goes down to Coco Goff, 6-love, six 6-2. Six My god, that was a huge letdown from her round of 16 defeat of Iga Shiontek. It's so clear now like what Yelena does that troubles Iga, and so much of it is just her refusal to budge. She stands really close to, if not on the baseline, and just doesn't back up during rallies. And so she takes a lot of time away from Iga. She just screws up her rhythm completely. And so, yeah, she hits hard. But it's also like when she hits it. Mm. Her positioning in the court. She couldn't find rhythm at all against Coco in no. that quarterfinal. None. There were a lot of bagels in the second week there on the were. women's side. A yeah. lot of bagels. Uh, Mukhova bageled Kirstea. Thank you so much. Love to see it. Of course, Madison bageled Arena Sabalenka. Getting back to Penko and Goff for a minute, though. There was some conversation about the scheduling because the golf team, as it turned out, lobbied for that daytime slot on Ash. Because when the schedule came out, people were like, what the hell is this? Like, this schedule makes no sense. And then when you, if you think about it, it's usually because there's either like an important corporate interest or a player who has that pull has requested a particular time. I think that's a night session that people thought would have been Goff, Ostapenko, and then Francis... Ben Shelton. Yes. Right? Yes. So Francis and Ben played at night, and then Coco opened Ash at 12 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Ostapenko, you could argue, was disadvantaged by the scheduling. At the same time, she played the night match two nights before that. So she had like 36 hours turnaround. It's not, it's actually not a huge ask. The conditions are a huge ask. Like it was sunny, it was humid. Lindsay Davenport was talking a lot about how she felt Yelena was struggling with the conditions. Which is fine, but I also... With her fitness. Right. I found this this aspect of it to be really dismissive of Ostapenko because this is a woman who plays doubles all year, who is not somebody who gets dragged around and tired out on court. She's actually in very good shape. You never see Ostapenko struggling physically no. on a tennis court. She loses because she's making a lot of errors. Granted, yeah. her matches tend to go... Fairly quickly, <laughs> sometimes. Right, but I mean, she guts out a lot of these three-set wins uh-huh. as well, right? And so she's was... also playing, as you said, doubles, and nobody practices more than her. Right. How many times did we see her in the practice court and in New York? At at that speed? I have a few videos I took of her on practice court. Like, man, she is killing the girls in practice. I, I normally really enjoy Lindsay as a commentator. I just, that rubbed me the wrong way. Because I think, I'm not saying that this is what Lindsay did. She didn't make any mention of her body like i don't want to imply that but a lot of people a lot of observers look at ostapenko and assume she's not in good shape because of the way she looks 
And that's just really unfair. It's ugly on the inside, yeah. is what it is. In the other quarterfinals, Muhaba beat Kirstea. You said that 6-love, six, 6-3. Six Amazing result. Kirstea got there by beating Belinda Bencic. And my only consideration there in that match was, well, who is going to be a bigger pest for Muhova? <laughs> and I assumed it would have been Bencic, so I was happy with yeah. that result. Yeah. And I was even more happy with this result. Hey, she could always be like an online right-wing influencer once she retires. I mean, she can go canvas for Greg Abbott now. She's got time on her hands. Mm-hmm. And then in the other quarterfinal, Madison Keys beat Wimbledon champ Marketa Vondrosheva 6-1-6-4. Vondrosheva was carrying injury in this match. Yeah, we knew that she had been struggling with the shoulder. We'll talk about the U.S. Open balls in a, in a few minutes. But she was captured on camera crying in the gym. And I was like, why is she crying? This was ahead of her quarterfinal match. And I realized it was because she was forced to pull out of women's doubles with Barbara Streetseva, who was playing in her final Grand Slam at the U.S. Open. So the shoulder injury was enough for her to pull out of doubles. And she clearly didn't have her full game with her in that quarterfinal, unfortunately. And then Sabalenka beat Zhang Qinwen in a pretty straightforward match, 6-1, 6-4. If Qinwen can figure out her serve, watch out. Yeah. Because she can hang with most of these women from the baseline. In doubles, the women's doubles final just ended while we were recording. Canadian Gabby Dabrowski and New Zealander Aaron Rutliff win the women's doubles title, beating Laura Ziegemund and Vera Zvonareva. Uh, we have written here on this agenda, arrest Dabrowski and that other one, Rutliff. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, in last week's episode, we talked a lot about Taylor Townsend and Layla Fernandez in doubles. They played the eventual champs in the quarterfinals in a very tight match. Three sets went down to a third set tiebreaker. Townsend and Fernandez fought back from a 1-4 deficit in the third set to bring it to that tiebreaker. And then they led, I believe it was 7-1 in a 10-point tiebreaker. I Let me tell you, I hate these 10-point tiebreakers. And just kind of collapsed as a team, including two consecutive double faults by Taylor, which I did not see coming. So I was disappointed to see them lose because they're so electrifying, but also because there was a sportsmanship incident, I believe it was in the second set. So I tweeted that it was Rutliff that touched the net with her racket. Somebody told me it was Dabrowski. I haven't been able to find footage of the incident in question, so I'm just going to say they share the blame here. I was at work, so I'm <laughs> absolved from any incorrect yes, aspect yes. of this discussion. So I'm, I'm just going to say, I thought it was Rutliff. I may be incorrect. But they one of them was at the net, finishing a point at the net, and very clearly touched her racket on the net before the ball even bounced. So the point should have been over. They should have lost the point. And the umpire didn't notice. It didn't seem like Taylor or Layla noticed either. If you're the player who touched the net, you noticed. And so nothing happened and everybody just went on with their days. That pissed me off. And you know what? It really did like create uh, an enemy for life for me. Oh. I hate that shit. I am like Serena. I don't forget that stuff. Even if I can't remember which of the two players did it, I'm going to blame both of you now. And then they went on to beat Xie in the semifinals. Right. Xie, who had... The number one uh, up for grabs if she won this tournament. She could have snatched it from Coco and Jesse. Imagine just coming back to the sport <laughs> in wow. the spring after, what, a year and a half? 
Yeah, about 18 months away from the sport. And having the ability to snatch the number one ranking within a few months. <laughs> that's that's sheer Sue stuff. Mm-hmm. One Roland Garros with Wang Xingyu. One Wimbledon with Streetsova gets to the semifinals again with Wang Xingyu after being away for so long. I mean, she almost won three slams in a row. The number one ranking in all four disciplines will change hands after this tournament. Yeah, Sabalenka that's unusual. is going to be number one. Djokovic is going to be back at number one. Pegula Goff will be number one. And who are the little men who are going to uh, be number one? Austin Krychek will be a solo number one. Okay. Uh, he reached the mixed doubles final with Justin Pegula. Okay. We are going to leave the men's double stuff for the men's episode. Mm-hmm. Now... I announced on Twitter that we're going to be doing two separate episodes, and I'm seeing a lot of responses thus far saying, oh my god, thank you so much. You've made it so easy for me to skip the man. I know, right? And now I'm thinking, was this a mistake? Because (laughs) either you're going to have to do crazy numbers on the women's episode to make up for Mm -hmm. the dive that the men's episode is going to be. But I'm not all here putting out two episodes for one of them to be a flop. Listen, there's going to be a lot of good stuff on the men's episode. We have like etc. stuff that we're talking about Mm. that we're splitting between the two. So it's like Uh evenly weighted. So you can skip the actual play recap if you want. There are liner notes. There's going to be plenty of other things on the men's. Before we leave the actual tennis play and move into the etc. portion of this episode, we'll say it again. Taylor Townsend is one of the breakout stars of this tournament. If Coco Goff was the breakout star of week two, Taylor Townsend was a breakout star of week one. Absolutely. We were able to see in person the type of electricity she can bring to the crowds. Then we got to see it on TV. She had uh, the good uh, foresight, I was going to say fortune, but probably the good foresight, to choose Ben Shelton as her partner in mixed. And with his dream run in singles, he was still playing mixed with Taylor, and the attention turned to their matches obviously got ramped up. I mean, from the start, people were watching their matches. Mm -hmm. But just Taylor's chemistry with her partners is really exciting to watch. I mean, it is a very college atmosphere out there, right? There's a lot of, like, there's dancing, there's yelling. Like, Dabrowski and Rutleff were very put off by it. Like there was a the the sort of tension between them during that match was palpable. The white team, for lack of a better word. Um, <laughs> no, you could just say the non-swaggy team. <laughs> they were not enjoying the swagless yeah, team. They did not enjoy the antics. I'll, I'll say that. But there's just something about watching Taylor Townsend play doubles that is infectious. It's really exciting. Right. So when folks like Nikira say they want to bring the NBA to tennis. They want to bring this to tennis, blah, 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 blah. A lot of what they're wanting to bring to tennis is the ability for men to act however they want without right. consequence. And that's a distinct, a distinction even, between <laughs> swag, which is what I think he's trying mm-hmm. to cloak it mm-hmm. as. Taylor Townsend has swag in spades. Yeah, because Coco Goff has swag in spades. Whatever you want to bring, it's already been broughten. I want to see more and more and more of Taylor <laughs> Townsend on a tennis court. Mm-hmm. And once more, once he's over his most recent bout with, with COVID, he may get some rest now. Oh. But may Patrick McEnroe never know peace once he's recovered. Yeah, exactly. One of the big off-court stories these past two weeks has been where are the WTA finals going to be? 
there has been a lot of coverage on this. Previously, it was almost accepted that it was going to be in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. There was a ton of bad press and pushback from some former tennis players. And then we found out they were taking bids from a number of different cities. There was Prague, there was Washington, D.C., and now Cancun, which we did not know about uh, when we recorded last week. Cancun is the one that won out. And there was this interesting interview with uh, the person who was leading the Czech bid, Tomáš Patera, in uh, iSport, which is a Czech publication. And he's pissed off that the WTA chose Cancun. Yeah, because according to him, we gave them everything they asked for. Everything. <laughs> gave them a ton of money. And it's clear that this is just a stopgap till they take themselves to Riyadh next year. Yes. And those are the rumors that this is a one-year deal and they will be going to Saudi Arabia next year uh, when, I don't know, when everything kind of dies down a little bit, when people are just expecting it. Allegedly, the check bid, there were a few options. There was uh, the option of a one-year in Ostrava followed by an extended run in Prague or just, just one year in Ostrava and then they could go anywhere else. The Czechs were putting up $15 million in prize money and then $6 million to the WTA. And a guarantee that any Russian or Belarusian players would be allowed to enter the country. The Cancun finals are not offering that kind of prize money. They're offering $9 million. So it's a mystery to me. Your guess is as good as mine as to why they chose Cancun over Czech Republic. I have no idea. And then there's the whole consideration of leaving that to go play Billie Jean King Cup. Yeah. So they're going to have the same travel problem that they had last year, that if you make the final in Cancun, you'll have about a day to get from Cancun to Seville, Spain, which is where the BJK Cup finals are this year. I looked it up because people were saying there's there are no direct flights. And like, let me let me just look it up. Okay, the shortest flight I could find, if you're flying commercial... Did you punch in the right dates? I did. It takes 15 hours and you'd have to stop in Charlotte and Madrid. That's the shortest. So I mean, people I'm are sure, flying private. I'm sure so, Navarro can put you up in luxury for a night if you're in Charlotte. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I guess, you know, the top players are definitely flying private in the midst of this climate crisis. But the, the big mystery is why, again, are we in a position where they're accepting bidders two months before the event starts? I mean, this is amateur hour. You have a quote here that says they are complete dilettantes. <laughs> Who what, said that? That's what Tomas Patera said. <laughs> I mean, uh, bless whoever translated that. It's not a good look. It's not good. It's very bad. No. The whole thing, the way it played out, not good. Not good, Bob. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the persistent rumors that this is just a stopgap until they actually do go to Saudi Arabia next year, uh, that they're just trying to get their ducks in a row, and... I mean, I fully expect that because now you've set the table for it, people won't really be that upset about it because it's just like, well, I guess we're doing this now. Um, but did I see Billie Jean King now say that she's glad that it's not going to Saudi Arabia? Wasn't she extolling the she was, virtues of it if it were to happen? You know, Billie Jean has had a lot on her plate lately, but this is there is a trap of always trying to like stay on the right side of history, which mm. she has. But I think she has stepped in it here. What is up with the tennis balls? <laughs> I feel like every slam we hear complaints mm. about tennis balls. But okay. This is very 
different, I think. Yes. Uh, last year at the U.S. Open, uh, some top players were complaining, namely Igesh Fiontech, that they were playing with the Wilson lighter duty balls. They weren't playing with the same balls as the men. And she was complaining that the balls really didn't hold up, right? And it was hard to get a lot of power on these balls. So Stacey Allister, former head of the WTA, current tournament director of the U.S. Open, she said, you know what? We're not trying to piss off the WTA. So we want the women to play with whatever balls that they want to. However, you've got to tell us by the close of the 2022 event, tell us which balls you decided on because we need that much lead time for production because Wilson's going to have to produce so many of these balls. So supposedly between the Players' Council and WTA leadership, they decided let's play with the same balls that the men do, the Wilson U.S. Open extra duty balls. Now there's a lot of complaints about these ones. Uh, If you're curious, duty, extra duty, what that describes is the thickness of the felt weave on the outside of the ball. And these balls are thought to be more durable. They'll last, you know, through the nine games before new balls. But it might be helping players who already have a lot of power because the balls feel heavier to players. Supposedly, they might sit on the racket. You know, we're talking about like milliseconds here, even slightly longer. It's going to feel different when you have that kind of muscle memory. So players who have less power might might be developing injuries because the balls are changing. Also, the courts were playing slower this year. Yes. So we don't know what actually did it. Uh, my instinct is to always believe players when they say they're they're dealing with injuries. I'm going to say something here and make a comparison to cricket. I don't know how useful it is to bring this up. But tennis is not the only sport where players use a different ball from tournament to tournament, match to match, or series to series in cricket. In England, because of the conditions, the English team always plays with the Duke cricket ball. And it's thought to swing more. I was explaining swing to you the other day, remember? From a fast bowler? Oh, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. The Duke ball is thought to be more conducive to producing swing, which in English conditions is very helpful for the type of bowler that England produces. Okay. Other places in the world, I believe in Australia, they use a kookaburra ball. I think West Indies alternates between the two sometimes. And so you go into these series, if you're a batsman, you know you're going to be playing different conditions because of the ball. Mm-hmm. But they often like benefit the home team? Like they pick a ball? That yes. Will... Okay. In cricket, there's a lot of stuff that is built into how the game is played and the setup of it that benefits the home team. Mm. Which is why it's such a big thing in cricket when you say, oh, we went overseas and we won this series because you're not playing oh, in okay. home conditions. I don't know if that's helpful to anybody in this discussion. So it does happen in other sports, this wild inconsistency with the balls. Mm -hmm. And conditions change so much based on weather and climate and stuff and court speed. Balls are just one more thing. Right. And in cricket, the ball and how it develops wear and tear, how it plays, has a direct relationship to the conditions around it, the conditions in which the game is being played as well. Mm -hmm. How hard the pitches, how soft the pitches, mm. how wet the outfield is, how gloomy the day is, you know? So right. so some players, uh, Vondrosova said these balls were probably the reason that she developed this shoulder injury. Vashek Pospisil was tweeting uh, about how frustrating it is for the balls to change and for players not to have a lot of say into how tournaments choose balls. All 
totally fair points. According to the rules, the balls can only vary in weight by 3 grams. So it's not actually a huge difference in weight. The the weave, like the felt weave, might be a big issue for people. So I don't know. I'm curious as to like the percentage of players who voted for these new ones during last year's U.S. Open. How did this decision come to be? All right. We had a very special visitor at the U.S. Open. Lots of former tennis players showed up, lots of celebrities, but one specific person of interest to this podcast <laughs> showed up at the U.S. Yep. Open, one Naomi Osaka. She was there for a special talk on mental health in tennis. Uh, great that they are deciding now to take it seriously. Big of her to join them when they didn't really treat her that great when her issues were going on a few years ago. She was there in the stadium for a few matches. She did a special interview with Chris McKendry on ESPN that was taped and they played a few times and posted online. Uh, it's just great to see Naomi back. She talked a lot about, you know, being a mom and wanting to come back to tennis. And Naomi's one of those personalities that is just, it's impossible not to be herself. Like, she doesn't know not how not to be Naomi, right? I thought you were going to say it's one of those personalities that it's just impossible not to love. And I was going to be like, well, oh, well a lot of people there are a lot of people, right? sweetie, who don't <laughs> like Miss Osaka. Sour. But she spoke honestly about loving being a mom, but also being very eager to go back to work, which is, I think, important to say out loud. She gave us an indication as to what her schedule, her playing schedule, is going to look like next year. And she says she's going to be playing many more tournaments than she normally did back in the day. To which all these jokesters, all these comedians on Twitter, are like, <laughs> she's going to be playing seven tournaments. Mm -hmm. Yes. Hilarious. You, you all are so original and hilarious. Thank you so much for the input. What else did she talk about? She talked about how lonely it was for her being pregnant. She said that she missed her job fiercely and that she was still training while she, while she was pregnant. And so she doesn't feel like she has a whole lot to do or as much as people mm. would think she needs to do to get back into shape. Right. And that she's planning to play at the Australian Open and even a few tournaments before the Australian Open to get a sense of where she is. <laughs> The wildcard situation in Australia is going to be interesting. It's going to be crazy. Because another woman who is coming back from a maternity leave, Angelique Kerber, says she wants to return in Australia. She'll need a wildcard, I believe. Yeah, or a couple of them can use protected ranking, oh, okay. I think. Um, Wozniacki says that she won't be playing again the rest of the year. That she'll be coming back next year. So she won't be playing... To get her ranking up to a point where she can qualify for yeah. the tournament. So she will be needing a wild card. So there's Wozniacki, Kerber, presumably Raducanu, Muguruza maybe? We don't know if she's planning on coming back. Venus maybe? Naomi definitely. Simona question mark? Like, we <laughs> I, don't know. I, I mean at that time. That last right, but at that time a decision may have been made. Maybe she'll be off with time served. Maybe. Maybe. Mm -hmm. It's possible. And so that will, somebody may get get the axe. Somebody may get a wild card into qualifying instead. I don't know how we make that decision <laughs> at that point, but people are going to be big mad. But you know what? Since it's Craig, we're going to complain about it. Speaking of haters, that was one of the big themes of Coco's speech. Wait, yeah. I, I said speaking of haters. Were we speaking of haters? 
That was a pretty clunky transition. That was like Whoopi Goldberg early years of The View. Do you remember how bad her segues (laughs) were? Um, Uh, Anyway, to end the episode, we'll talk about haters. Coco, to finish her victory speech, thanked her haters. She said, I see all of you on Twitter. I see what you're saying. All the mess. You you talk about me. You say all these things about me, Wendy. But you don't know me, Wendy. You're not go- you're not sleeping with me, Wendy. You're not in the bed with me, Wendy. Like you don't know anything about my life, Wendy. <laughs> she said, "I want to thank the people who didn't believe in me." Mm-hmm. Uh, you could tell she had been holding that in for a while. She doesn't she, typically talk like no, that. She said on her IG live today that fifteen minutes before going on court, she was reading haters. Mm-hmm. That's what she was doing. That is a mystery to me. I don't know why she would want to do that, but uh, she might find it motivating. But it was a, it was a mic drop moment for mm-hmm. her. It was the line where she said, you thought you were pouring water on my fire, but it was gas and I'm shining brighter than ever and I won't stop. I thought it was done and it just kept going. <laughs> like, talk your talk, Miss Goff. Right. You've, <laughs> you've, earned, you've earned it. I'm waiting a long time to say it. And you've dealt with a lot of shit from a lot mm. of people. Also in the hateration, holleration, dancery, mm-hmm. is this hilarious oh. moment from Jessica Pagula. She is one of the most gifted in a press mm-hmm. press room. Yes. Uh, I don't know if I would call this hateration. I would call this inaccuracy that got absolutely bodied in press. Sure, but in her mind, I mean, hateration is a broad oh, concept. Yeah, yeah. She was addressing... Something that was out of pocket in her mind. Mm-hmm. So she's asked this question by, I think it was a tennis podcast. And she gives this thoughtful answer, whatever. And everybody thinks the question is done. And she goes, also, and then the finger comes out and she points. <laughs> Weren't you the ones who tweeted that I was crying? And there was uh, some silence. We couldn't hear what was said. Mm-hmm. And then she's nodding along and she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> because I wasn't crying. I just, want I, to, I just want to clear that I up. had to go play doubles, actually, like an hour after that match. I was just worrying about my doubles match. And, and then she finished it by saying, anyway. <laughs> I mean, she just has, like, rich girl confidence that none of us will ever have. It's like this innate confidence of just being born incredibly wealthy. I mean, some would say the default disposition, given that background, is to be a dick. But that's not or what this is. It's it's like the self-made billionaires who are very insecure. She's she's not a billionaire. She just mm. grew up extremely rich, you know? Yeah, but the interaction was just really bizarre, right? Because it wasn't like, oh, yeah, yes, we tweeted that. Sorry, we'll fix that inaccuracy. It was, oh, no, we don't do our tweets. Well, they did fix it mm-hmm. afterward. It was just, it must have been incredibly awkward in the room. See, this is why I don't do press no more. But also, why we do our own tweets. So if we fucked up badly, at least we know that one of us did it. (laughs) And honestly, no hate. It was just incredibly funny. And I'm sure in hindsight, they will also find it funny. I hope they do. Yeah. If you can be part of a situation that's no harm, no foul in press that people get enjoyment from, you know. Mm -hmm. Nami Osaka pulled one over me, talking about how the goose is loose or whatever. What is it? Oh, when they plant, the players were asked to like plant all these yes. bizarre quotes. And then they I'm there like, asking a serious question. I'm getting like the, the goose is loose, whatever response. I'm like, what the fuck is going on right, right now? But it was ingenious because it's Naomi and she's weird. Yeah. That brings us to the end of our WTA wrap. 
our U.S. Open Part 1. Let's not call it a WTA and ATP, because then nobody will listen to the ATP one. Okay, so you just want to call it Part 1? <laughs> just plain old Part 1. There's plenty of good stuff on offer on the next episode. Congrats to Coco Goff. Amazing. You're doing amazing, sweetie. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. This is The Body Serve. You can find everything Body Serve related at linktree.com slash The Body Serve. Thank you for listening. Till tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, I had something planned. You were supposed oh. to say till next time. And then we're like, well, okay, next well. time's probably tomorrow. Well, it's too late now. Till next time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much.